We ought to all be touched by that truth, as Morgan was obviously touched. Thank you, Morgan, for sharing not only the song, but your heart and the message with us this morning. Which brings me to this question. What do you think the hardest thing for God to do is? If there was something for God that was hard. Now, we know God's Word says nothing is too hard for Him, but just for the sake of argument, if there were, what would you think it would be? What was that? Not to love. All right. What'd you Waiting on us? Washing our sin? All right. Yeah, seeing us sin against Him. That's kind of what I want to lead in today is last Sunday we talked about the transformation of life that Paul went through. That's what Morgan just sang about. The transformation of life that we go through. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And I, my opinion is if there was anything harder than something else for God to do, it, it has to do with making me clean, forgiving me of my sin. Because what did it cost for him to do that? What did Morgan just sing? His blood ran red to make me white. It cost him. And the reason I ask that is because the theme, the gospel changes everything. That the gospel is not just facts to be believed. It's a life to be lived. And how can we believe that if Jesus, if God can forgive a sinner like me and you and give His only Son... And watch him endure his wrath upon sin, bleed and suffer and die as an innocent man. If God can do that, why can't he do other things? Why can't we trust him to do other things? Your marriage may be falling apart and you've thrown in the towel, but you're saved. How can you believe that God would save you and forgive you if you don't believe that God can transform your marriage? Some of you are in some financial crisis and you're ready to give up and you, don't, you can't believe God for the big things. You can believe Him for the $10 and $15 things, but you can't believe Him for the $10 and $15,000 things. But if God, if you can believe God would forgive your sin and make you clean, how come you can't believe Him for that? Where's the faith, people? Where's the faith of God's people? The gospel changes everything. Jesus said, we're going to get to that passage. The Bible says in Romans 8, He who spared not His only Son for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Why, if we can believe He can save me and transform me and make this sinful creature that was dirty and despicable and make me white and clean, how come I can't believe Him to change everything else in my life? To make my marriage what it ought to be. My marriage is great. I'm not talking about my marriage. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm teasing. I'm not teasing about my marriage. My marriage is good. I'm teasing about y'all's marriage. I hope y'all's marriage is good. Can I go home with one of y'all today? That's what I want us to grasp in this whole thing is that the gospel is not just facts to be believed. We just go to church and we can separate it from every, every other facet of our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ changes everything about us. Everything. Paul's transformation was total. Total transformation. Romans. Listen to this passage in Ephesians 2. I'm introducing our message this morning. But Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 13. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. We used to walk according to the devil. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that is, we were called basically by the Jews dogs. He says, but at, verse 12, But at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for He Himself is our peace. That's the greatest miracle in the Bible. And if you're saved, you've been a part of the greatest miracle. If there was anything hard for God, that was it. Nothing else. As the, as the Cajun would say, everything else is lanyap. That means icing on the cake. Extra. Easy. So friends, if you're struggling this morning, 
with a problem that you think is too big. You just remember the cross. Remember the price that was paid for you to have forgiveness of sins. Paul's transformation, we rehearsed that last week because it was so total. As he was the Christian killer, but now he's been transformed. He, he says, I am now, verse 1, Romans 1, a bondservant, I'm bound to Jesus Christ. He said, I'm called to be a missionary now. I'm called to go out. Apostle means one sent out. I'm called to go. He said, I'm separated to the gospel. He used to be separated to this sect of religious sect called Phariseeism. But now he is, he's rejected that, and now he's separated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's rejected this religious ritual to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking it wherever he goes. And now he says, I'm, I'm devoted to the saints. We started looking at that last week. This is another evidence of the transformation. He hated the followers of Jesus before he was saved. But now he loves them. He calls them beloved of God. And we saw in verse 8 that he thanks God for them. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He prays for them in verse 9. He said, for God is my witness who I serve in the, with my spirit in the gospel, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. He's praying for them. Verse 10 he desires to be with them. He said, I, I make requests. One of my prayers is that if by any means I can find a way in the will of God to come to you, I long to see you. Why did he want to see them? He said, because I want to depart, impart some spiritual gift. That is, I want to help you become stronger. You see, the spiritual gifts were to, as we learn in 1 Corinthians, which Paul wrote also to another church. He said it was to edify, to build up the church. He wanted to come visit them to encourage them, to strengthen them, to build them up. He says in verse 12, he said, I want also that I would be encouraged together with you. He realizes that when the people of God get together, there's mutual encouragement going on. This is why I stressed last week that a Christian who thinks they can be a successful, victorious Christian outside the local church, they're fooling themselves. They're believing a lie of the devil. And they're going to stay home and say we're going to do home church. Because they can't get along with the people of God. Something's wrong with that picture. But see, we come together and we have mutual encouragement. We build each other up. Not because we're perfect, but because we're imperfect. That's the point. We don't come to church to act like we're perfect. I'm not encouraged by your perfection. I'm encouraged that you mess up as much as I do. And that I'm not alone, but that we can encourage each other. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, to spur each other on to love and to good works. We do that when we're gathered. And Paul said, I can't wait to, to get together to receive this mutual encouragement through our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. He says that he also wants to be with them because he wants to bear fruit among them. Verse 13, now I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, also just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. 
So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul wanted to have some spiritual fruit among the church at Rome. He, he wanted to be with them and he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to be encouraged by them, but he also wanted to preach the gospel. He says, wherever I go, I want to preach the gospel. Notice what he says. He says in verse 14, I am a debtor. Paul felt an obligation to take the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he went. He said to the Greeks and to the barbarians, that is to the wise and the ignorant, to, the, to, to anybody, wherever I go, I want to take the gospel. He felt an obligation. I hope followers of Jesus feel that indebtedness to Jesus Christ. You remember the slave story? You remember the, the, the man that tried to rescue the slave? I told you all two weeks in a row he got stabbed in the arm trying to rescue the slave. And, and then that slave became his debtor to follow him around. He didn't, he didn't the, the man that rescued him didn't demand it. But the slave willingly followed because of the price that was paid. Listen, look at the price that was paid for us, y'all, on Calvary's cross. We are debtors to this message. We just can't keep it here. We can't keep it here. We're debtors to take it wherever we go because of the change it made in our lives. Paul wanted to take it everywhere. In fact, he said in Acts 20, 24, he said his life was worth nothing unless he used it for finishing the work assigned him by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Wow. If there ever were a verse that would be a life verse, there's one. Our life is worth nothing except for fulfilling the purpose of God. doesn't matter how much money you make. How many friends... Or you have on Facebook. Or followers on Twitter and Instagram. How many views you get on Snapchat. None of that matters. You're going to stand before a holy God one day. And you're going to give account for everything. The way you lived your life. As a believer. Not for heaven or hell, but for what you did with your life. How you served him you'll be rewarded based on that my life is worth nothing unless i use it for finishing the work assigned me by the lord jesus by the way what has the lord jesus assigned you what has he given you to do i can tell you what he's given every one of us to do it's what i'm talking about this morning it's living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Why would the world want what I got if my marriage is falling apart? Why would the world want what I got when, when they see me gossiping and running my mouth badly about other people? Why would the world want what I got when they, don't, they see me always worried and afraid about stuff instead of learning the peace of God and to trust God. Living out the gospel means learning to trust God in, in every situation and, and, and being contagious in our culture. 
And people want to know, hey, what's different about you? How, how come you have this? What is it? And that gives us an opportunity. But see, Paul wasn't the only one changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talks here about some others. And this is where I wanted you to see the whole outline from beginning to where we are. It's on the back of your bulletin in case you haven't discovered it yet. But we're picking up with those blanks, those four blanks at the bottom. I've covered all that other stuff already in the last three weeks. So if you like to take notes and follow along, you can see where we are in our progression and our study verse by verse through the book of Romans. Paul says he wasn't the only one changed. We find here in this chapter he wasn't the only one changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice the saints' transmission. Yeah, like the transmission in a car, but we're going to use a different meaning here. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So he says these followers of Jesus, these saints, were, first of all, among all nations. Now, these ones he's talking to, these believers in Rome, he said, he mentioned in verse 5, all these nations, but then he says to them specifically, among whom you, you are part of all these nations that are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what's the significance of this? Well, here's, here's why I make this point here. Among all nations. We don't know for certain how Christianity came to Rome because there, this church was established not by Paul. Paul kept wanting to come to Rome but he never got there until the end of his life, and then he was executed. But we do know a church began there. The church was likely started by believers in Acts chapter 2. It says in Acts chapter 2 verse 10 that Jews from all over the world... And he mentioned some countries, and Rome was one of the countries mentioned in Acts 2.10, were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Five weeks Pentecost after Passover, they had this feast. And so they're all, all gathered, and, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell upon those apostles, and they began to preach in their language, but people from all over the world understood in their language. And it says that day 3,000 people were saved. So we believe that among those 3,000 were some, believers, some, some from Rome who went back home to Rome with this transformed life, and they began to talk about what they heard. They began to talk about this Jesus and other people began to believe and to be saved, and, and their lives were changed. And thus, the church of Rome began. Paul says, these saints transmitted the gospel that they heard in Jerusalem all the way back to Rome. And that's how the church started. Transmission of the gospel 
It's not just if a life that's been transformed by the gospel will by nature transmit the gospel to other people. But if your life hasn't really been transformed, you don't really care about transmitting. You see, the gospel isn't something to be added to your life. Jesus is not just the next piece of your puzzle that you're trying to make a complete picture of your life. He is your life, the Bible says. He is our life, not just a piece or a part. He says also in verse 6 and 7, he says, Among whom you are called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Paul's application of the word called to these believers is significant. In verse 1, Paul says he is called. Now in verse 6, he tells them they are called. And in verse 7, he says they're called saints. So Paul says they are the called of Jesus Christ and they are called saints. By the way, if you notice in your Bible, there's two little words there that you haven't heard me say. What two little words are those words? In verse 7, they're in italics in your Bible. To be. You know why they're in italics? Because they don't belong to be there. They say, oh, Brother Lee said he's taking words out of the Bible. No, they're not in the original Greek text. Here's why. If you do a word study, you go back and look at the word called, it's not a verb, it's an adjective. And the word saints is a noun. So we have an adjective. What does an adjective do? It modifies a noun. Y'all didn't know you had school on Sunday, did you? So there's no verb there. What's the point? He says, you are the called saints. Called to be? No, it's not something you to be. It's something you already, what? Are. You is a saint. <laughs> you may not act like you is, but you is a saint. It's interesting to note that the word saint and the word sanctify and the word hallow and the word holy all come from the same word. And it's the word, it's the idea of separation from something and separation to something. It's from separation from the secular to the sacred, from the unholy to the holy. And I want to go back and read something in Ephesians, 3, Ephesians 5. Another letter written by Paul. Here's what he says about that but fornication that's sex outside of marriage and all uncleanness or covetousness all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Paul says your saints live like saints. Saints means holy. We're to live holy. Saints means separate. We're to live separate. Paul says you aren't to be, you're not even becoming a saint. You are a saint. Saint was God's term for his children. You might know where the term Christian came from. It's in the Bible. It says in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians in Antioch of Syria. Anybody heard of Syria? What's going on in Syria? Are they lovers of God or in God's people? The Jews and Christians? Or are they haters of God's people, the Jews and Christians? Haters. So when they invented this term Christian, were they trying to be nice or mean? They were trying to be mean. It was a term of derision. You bunch of little Christs think you're something. In fact, the word Christian only appears three times in the whole Bible. And all three times, it's a term of derision. It was only used once by a follower of Jesus Christ, and that was Peter. And it's not wrong to be called Christian. Peter gave it some credibility when he said, if you suffer as a Christianos, if you suffer as a Christian, but still as a term of derision, because he knew that to identify yourself with Jesus Christ, you were going to face what? Persecution. But all three times it's associated with derision or persecution. God says, you are saints. You are the holy ones that belong to him. And it's time we accept that. Because it makes a difference in our mindset and how we live. If I think I'm just a sinner, how do you think I'm going to live? I'm going to live like a sinner. But if I think I am a saint... How do you think I'm going to try to live? I'm going to try to live as a saint. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Would you adopt with me, the followers of Jesus Christ, that you are, according to the authority of the Word of God, a saint? Can you say it with me? If you're saved, if you are a Christian and you know it, now if you don't know it, you might want to be quiet, but if you know it, say it with me. I am a saint. I am a saint of God. That's God's title for you. What we see here then is that Christ doesn't make a distinction or respecter of persons when he commissions his followers to proclaim the gospel. Paul said, I am a, an apostle, I'm a bondservant. I'm separated to the gospel. I'm called. But then he says, but you too are called. 
The believers in Jesus Christ need to get over this concept that the people we pay are the ones supposed to do the preaching and the teaching and the proclaiming of the gospel. That's disobedience. That's a church in rebellion against God. There was no distinction. Paul says, I'm called, but you're called. I'm called, but you're called. I'm separated to the gospel, but you are a saint. You too are separated as the people of God from the world to Jesus Christ. There's no difference. Are you accepting that call? Or are you leaving it to the professionals? That's Brother Lee's and Bobby's and Brian's job. Did these Roman saints obey the gospel? Did they make a difference? Well, we know the original ones did that heard over here in Jerusalem at Pentecost. They brought it home and spread the gospel. But did, they, did it stop there? Look at verse 8. The end of verse 8 says, Paul said, your faith is spoken of where? All over the world. So obviously, this church took it very seriously. That it wasn't something they just believed in. It was something that they lived out day after day. That's the real gospel, folks. If you just believed in a few set of facts and it didn't make a lick of difference in your life and you expect to go to heaven, you're probably not. But if you gave your heart and soul and life to Jesus Christ, committed your life to what He did on the cross of Calvary, you believed it because of what He did, you accepted it for yourself. And you know you were transformed and changed, and, and you can't help but speak it. It doesn't matter if it's popular or unpopular. It doesn't matter if it's going to get you in trouble or not get you in trouble. These saints took it wherever they went, 360 degrees all over the world. That is our calling. That's our commission. It's more than a command even. It flows from a life transformed. It flows from a life of love and indebtedness. I am a debtor to Jesus Christ. I owe my life to Him. And if it costs me everything, my life is His anyway. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Shut your mouth, you dirty Christians. I don't want to hear it. But they said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. May that be you. May that be me. If we're truly saints, it will be. A life transformed is a life transmitted. A life that doesn't want to transmit 
chances are, hasn't been truly transformed. I'm calling you again today to examine yourselves. Am I truly saved? Or am I just a church member? Or if I just believe some facts, but I don't live it out in my daily life? Again, let's go back to the very beginning. Is what you believe about Jesus changed everything about you? The way you approach life, the way you do marriage, the way you do your business, the way you operate here in this church, the way you, you run your family? Or have you segmented it because you've tried to add it like a piece to the puzzle? The gospel, what does it do? Changes how much? Everything. Let's bow together.